know, we have a, a daunting task. It's very difficult. We are, we are called by God to be a light, to, to be the church, and to build the kingdom of God through the church. Uh, but it's hard because these are dark times. These are difficult days. And the only way that we're going to be a hope and a help to others with the good news of God is if we're truly embracing it ourselves and thriving. And so that's why we're, we're talking about thriving in this year. We've got to make sure we understand what that means, thriving. Thriving is the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's word, just to obey what he tells us to do while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Not having to be in control, knowing that he is in control and that we're simply going to walk in his ways. You know, we can. We can be a thriving people. And I, I got to make sure I'm, I'm clear on this too. When I t- talk about this and what I want to talk about today, it's very important to understand that this applies specifically and only to disciples of Jesus Christ. If, if you're not in Christ and Christ is not in you, you, you cannot be a thriving person. You certainly cannot produce the acts of faith necessary to become the person God died for you to be, made you to be. And so for those of us who believe, we need to also understand that this gift of salvation, this gift of life in Christ, it's meant to do something. It's meant to accomplish his purpose, even in difficult days. And so right now, we're, we're seeking to understand how it is we can be a thriving people in difficult days. And to do that, we're studying the book of Nehemiah. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's now go together to Nehemiah chapter 2. Last week, we learned that, that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king and that God had placed a burden on Nehemiah's heart to accomplish his word, to accomplish what God had already said he was going to do. Uh, God told the people that if they turned against him, he would send them into exile. And so 2 Chronicles 36, he did. But he also promised that he would one day bring back a remnant. And that remnant had returned. And we read about that in the book of Ezra, right before Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah uh, are actually, you know, pairs of the, of the same coin. It's uh, two sides of the same coin. And so in Ezra, we learned that the people gained salvation. There was an altar that was built. So there was a blood sacrifice to atone for their sin. They had built the temple. There was a, a way for them to gather together and honor God, but there were no walls. And so they were open to the attacks of the enemies. And when Nehemiah heard this, he began to mourn and began to pray. And so for four months, Nehemiah has been praying. And now where, we, where we're going to be in our text today, we see God is now responding to the prayer of Nehemiah and his friends, which requires Nehemiah to act in faith. The Bible tells us clearly that we are to live by faith. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, living by faith is not easy, but it is by living by this faith that, that we can live lives that are thriving. And Nehemiah shows us how. So let's go to our text. This is Nehemiah chapter two. We're gonna be in verses one through eight. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through eight. 
in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Now, remember, he's been praying for four months. He's been fasting. He's been mourning. But he hasn't been sad in front of the king. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the king, uh, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Friends, God is pleased when we live by faith. But our flesh often prefers that we live by sight. We, we love the illusion that we are in control. That we can create our own world. That, that we can believe something into existence or speak it into existence. And that's, that's not true. That's not the way God has called us to live. It's nonsense. God alone makes things happen. God calls us to trust in him. We live this very seemingly weird from the world's perspective life. Second Corinthians 5, 7 describes it. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now look, living by faith it may appear foolish to an outside non-believing world looking at what Christians do, looking at how we live. It may appear foolish. And, and, and even sometimes amongst the believers, you know, I imagine, can you imagine, some of you ladies, some of you moms, what it must have been like to be Nehemiah's mother? You know, I imagine had Nehemiah's mom been in the room that day, when the queen was present. So this is a celebration day. The only time that the queen would typically come and sit with the king is when there was a celebration, when something really good was going on. And so here they are in this moment of celebration. And what's Nehemiah doing? He's moping around. He did moping around. He's wine, drinking, do whatever you want, I don't care. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous because king could fire you. And can you imagine if Nehemiah's mom had been in that room that day, the looks she would have given him? Boy, you're just wait. You better put a smile on your face. He's going to kill you. You better quit moping around, boy. Fake it. Act happy. Nobody's happy. Just act happy. No one cares what you think. Just stop. 
She would, here's what all, well, most moms want for their children. They want them to be safe. They want them to be comfortable. They want them to be successful. And I'm sure that's what Nehemiah's mom wanted for him. But she couldn't understand maybe what God was doing in this moment. And it's only the eyes of faith that can see what God is doing in any particular moment. This was a scary time. This was a defining moment. And it was going to require an act of faith. We got to remember, God doesn't always call us to be comfortable and safe. He calls us to live by faith. And living by faith can sometimes appear to be foolish. Our text shows us that the only people who thrive are those who live by faith. And, and this faithfulness, it, it, it impacts the way we live. And that's what we see in Nehemiah. Let me encourage you to take note of these four things. And the first one is this. What we see in Nehemiah's life is how thriving people live by faith. So by faith, thriving people prepare for God's kingdom moment. Remember, Nehemiah has been fasting and praying for four months. Now look at that prayer. Go back to chapter five, just real quick, and glance through chapter five, verse 11. Look at what he's saying. He's like, he's saying, God, provide for this need that you put on my heart. Make, make this happen. Give this man, he's talking about the king, uh, cause him to be disposed toward me that, that I, can, I can accomplish what it is you have called me to do. This was a God-given kingdom moment. What is a kingdom moment? Let me give you this definition. God's kingdom moment is a special occasion when the servants of God are given the opportunity to sacrifice themselves and serve for the glory of God. And when these moments come, we need to be prepared. When, when these moments occur and they begin to appear, we need to be ready. It's not going to be, we're not going to have time. We got to be ready because it's going to hit us. Look in verse two. Look at the end there. Look what happened to Nehemiah. The moment came and it says, he says, I was very much afraid. Friends, when fear hits you, if you've not prepared by faith to deal with your fear, that fear is going to cripple you. And so this faith that God gives, it allows us to stand when fear strikes. We've got to know what we're going to do. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Times of temptation are our moments. These are God's kingdom moments. When we can stand for God, we can sacrifice what our flesh desires in order to obey the commands of God. Now, when we fall into temptation, many times what happens to us is we're afraid. We're afraid of missing out on getting what we want. You think about the trick that, that the, the devil did with Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden. What, how did he trick them? He said to them, look, God doesn't want what's best for you. He's trying to keep you from getting what you really want. You can't really trust God. And what he did was he played on their fears he made them afraid that they would miss out on something really, really good. And when that moment strikes you, when that fear hits you, you got to be prepared. Or when that moment hits you, when everyone else is doing it, everyone else has it, they're going to judge me if I don't. I'm going to look odd if I don't fall into the crowd and do what everybody else is doing. That's fear. We've got to be ready. We must be prepared. And we sing a song about this and it sounds very simple, but it's not. We must be prepared to trust and obey God. 
We've got to decide what we're going to do before the decision comes. When that fear hits, we got to know what we're going to do. First Peter 1.13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have to prepare our minds. We have to be thinking in this way because our thoughts drive our affections and whatever we're thinking and feeling, that's going to ultimately determine what we do. When we have decided in our minds what God wants us to do, we must set our hearts on pleasing him in the hope that we have in him, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And we've got to let that drive our choice. Rather than be afraid, we've got to walk by faith. First Peter 3.15 but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, we not only need to be able to explain to our mamas why we are stepping out in faith and doing something that might be perceived as dangerous. We got to be able to convince ourselves that what we are doing is the right thing. We've got to know that we know that we are doing what God is calling us to do. We've got to preach to ourselves every day. God is good. God is right. God's word can be trusted. God knows what's best for me. He loves me. He cares for me. We have to constantly preach that message to us found in the word of God. So when that moment comes, we're ready. You know, the Psalms are a great place to prepare for God's kingdom moment. I love Psalm 62, beginning in verse 5. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. What is he doing? For God alone, and who's he addressing? He's addressing his own soul. He's preaching to himself. He's saying, for God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Friends, we gotta preach that to ourselves. We have to constantly be renewed and reminded that, that we are serving God. We are living by faith. We have to prepare our mind and our heart and our hands for action to do what the world would say. That's, that's dangerous. We have to be ready to do what our mom might say. No, 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 no. Uh-uh, I, I, that's not going to lead to your comfort. That, that might not be safe. We have to be willing to step out. You know, there have been untold millions who Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38 describes as those of whom the world was not worthy. I believe Jim Elliot was one of those men. Jim Elliot was a missionary to Ecuador. He was at Wheaton College at a special time in, in that in that season of that university's life, Billy Graham was trained at that time. There were missionaries and, and evangelists that were coming out. And, and Jim Elliott was one of them. So he went to Ecuador with a team to reach a people who were very dangerous. They were violent. They were known to be a violent people. And, and they were not safe. But Jim Elliott was called to go and to take the gospel to these people. And I imagine on the day when he died seeking to share the gospel with people who hated him, his mother would have said, Jim, don't go. But Jim's words remain. His legacy remains. Jim Elliott once wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
That is a man who had decided to trust God. That is a man who was going to live by faith, to live for the eternal reward that God alone gives to those who live by faith. God's kingdom moment provides us with the opportunity to give that which we cannot keep in order to gain that which we cannot lose. That is what thriving people do. Secondly, by faith, thriving people obey the Spirit's promptings. Nehemiah had already been prompted to speak to the king about this. He was already praying about it. And he easily could have dismissed the Spirit's promptings. I mean, from day one, when he got word about the condition of the walls, he very easily could have said, oh, those walls have been down for 100 years. That's not my problem. God, I've got a good job here. I've got benefits. I am happy here. I am comfortable here. I am safe here. I, I figured out this cupbearer thing. I, I'm just, I just need to lay low. I'll pray for whoever you're going to send. It's not what happened. He felt the prompting of the Spirit. And he was willing to step into his God-given kingdom moment. He allowed his mind to be led by the Spirit. He was willing to think through, okay, God, if you're calling me to this, what am I going to need? What, I'm going to need the king's permission. I'm going to need resources. I'm going to need letters of passage. I'm going to need other people to go. I, I'm going to need your power. His heart had to be moved by the Spirit. And he was weeping and praying and he had friends gathering with him to pray. He was crying out and he was moved by the Spirit to ask God to meet this need. And then there was the actions. His mind and his heart having been moved, it contorted his face to be sad. In the king's presence, which was dangerous, and to ask for his blessing. This does not happen naturally, friends. We don't just naturally walk in the Spirit. We don't naturally lean into the promptings of the Spirit. It's something we have to practice. It's something we have to get good at. You know, I'm always amazed with teams, how they get better as they go. And it's such a sad time because of, the, of COVID and these quarantine. I, I, I'm seeing teams play and usually those teams get better as they go along, but a lot of teams are getting shut down for 10 days at a time and they're not able to get that rhythm of getting better. And so they're so frustrated because they're stuck and they, it's like they take one step forward and three steps back because they're, they're not able to really practice what it is they need to get better. And many Christians live that way by choice. We, we take one step forward on Sunday, but then we take three steps back the rest of the week because we are not living in the Spirit. We're not listening to the promptings of the Spirit. We're, we're not being guided by the Spirit. Friends, we have to practice being led by the Spirit's promptings. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we've got to be filled by Him. Ephesians 5.18. Before we read this out loud, I want you to understand, this is not a suggestion. This is not a request. This is a command from God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Here's the command, but be filled with the Spirit. We are commanded as Christians to be filled with the Spirit. John MacArthur said, being filled with the Spirit is a command for believers to live continually under the influence of the Spirit by letting the Word control them, pursuing pure lives, confessing all known sin, dying to self, surrendering to God's will, and depending on His power in all things. Being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting His mind, through the Word, dominate everything that is thought and done. 
And when we do that, we're keeping in step with the Spirit, which is also what Scripture commands. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We were made alive by the Spirit of God. John chapter 3 talks about in order for us to be saved, the Spirit of God must move on us so that we can be born again, so that we can believe. We are then to live in that Spirit. We're to be filled with that Spirit. We're already in Him and He is in us, but we need to each day open our lives to the work of the Spirit of God and then to walk in that truth, being filled daily, walking hopefully, and then that will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Friends, think of it agriculturally. The fruit of the Spirit has to be cultivated. Are you cultivating the fruit of the Spirit? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, it takes the seed of the Word. You have to saturate your soul with the seeds of the word. Every day, you've got to put the seeds of truth into your heart and mind. And then you have to water those seeds with prayer. You have to pray the scriptures. You have to acknowledge, God, I'm I'm not doing what this word commands. Forgive me, renew me. God, I want to do this truth that you have commanded me in your word. I want to be transformed. Make this real. We water the seeds of the word with prayer. And then by discipline, we do what the word commands and that produces the fruit. That's how our lives are changed. Friends, that has to be cultivated. Nehemiah was a man of the word. Remember last week when we were looking at that prayer, look back at Nehemiah chapter five. I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter one, verse five. Look at how he prayed. The beginning of that prayer, he's quoting Deuteronomy 7, 9. He's quoting Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. And look, as he's talking to God, he's telling God his word. He's telling God what he had spoken through Moses. He knows the word of God. He's praying the word of God. He has that seed. He's watering it with prayer. And now he's committed himself to obey it. He's committed himself to be led by the promptings of the Spirit to accomplish what God has designed. That's what thriving people do. Third, by faith, thriving people engage risks with Christ's boldness. It's not not some kind of hyper, look how cool I am, look how brave I am. No, 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 no. It, It is a humble It is a faithful obedience to God that steps out and engages risk with Christ's boldness. Again, don't overlook. Look at the end of verse two of chapter two. Don't miss that. He said, then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah wasn't up in that party with the queen and the king and all the people waiting for his opportunity to tell the king what he needed to be doing. This was not a protest. This was a guy who was scared. He was very much afraid. And in those moments, friends, we have to understand that God has not called us to live in fear of the world. He's called us to live in faith. Never let your fear drive you. Let your faith drive you so that you can negotiate your fear. And we're to be like Christ Jesus. Our boldness needs to come from our leader, from our master. 
Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, look what it says Jesus did. So important. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face. Now look at that. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Listen, Jesus knew his mission. The devil had already tried to deter him. Look real quick in Matthew chapter 4. Go over there real quick. Matthew chapter 4. The devil has already tried to detour detour Jesus from his mission. And so he's having to set his face now in Luke 9. And what that means is he's, he's decided there's going to be distractions. There's going to be people saying, Jesus, don't do that. Jesus, that's not safe. His mom and his brothers one time actually tried to come and take him away from the mission because they thought that he had lost his mind. It looked like what he was doing was foolish. But the devil, long at the beginning of his ministry, tried to detour him. Look what, he, look what he was doing. Look at the last temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, what you see is the temptation of Christ. The last temptation. Look what the devil offers him. He says to Jesus, look, you want the world? You want world peace? You want, you want to end world hunger? You, you want everyone to be educated? You want everyone to get justice? You want everything to go good? Fine. Worship me, but forget the cross. Forget the gospel. Forget dying for the sins of the world. Forget the resurrection. Forget giving them new life. Forget the new heaven and new earth. Keep the world as it is under my control, and then you can do whatever you want to. You can can change people's living circumstances, but you can't have their soul. This is still the temptation of the church today. Many churches are abandoning the gospel in the hopes of trying to fix some problems that that exist in our world. Friends, we can't fix the human condition. Only God can. And the way God fixes the human condition is with the gospel of God. If we want justice, we need Jesus. If we want equality, we need Jesus. If we want peace, we need Jesus. We need the Jesus who died on the cross, was raised on the third day, and who's coming again. The devil had tempted Jesus to give up that mission, but Jesus set his face. He decided he was going to do what God called him. He engaged in the risk with boldness, and so much, so much more should we. There's no turning back. Look, Nehemiah was afraid. When you're afraid, this is an axiom. Write this down. This is very important. Understand, fear is a call to prayer. Every time you're afraid, pray. Don't try to fix the problem. Don't try to to deal with what you're afraid of. First, pray. First, ask God. First, say, God, is this what you want? Is this according to your will? Is this according to your word? That's what Nehemiah did. He prayed. And after he prayed, he humbly engaged the risk with Christ's boldness. He asked for the king's blessing and assistance. It's important to note that Nehemiah had a plan. Nehemiah had thought through, okay, if this is what God is going to do, then here's all the stuff I'm going to need. I'm going to need some logs. I'm going to need some letters. I'm going to need some army. I'm going to need some stuff. He had thought it through. Right now, our leadership is thinking through what we need. God has, has led us to merge with Scott's Foro. He, he led us to merge with um, Redeemer. He has led us to have 
three venues. So right now, there are this service plus the rec center plus the worship center. And it was really great. A couple of weeks ago, a sister church called and said, hey, our pastor's sick. Can you send us over one of yours? It's like, absolutely. We've got them. So we sent a pastor over to preach the gospel to a sister congregation. And here's, here's what we're sensing from God. If God is going to call us, and we think he probably is, to be a blessing to the kingdom, to maybe have churches that are not doing well, to merge with Living Hope and become campuses. If we're going to be a blessing to mission work and, and all the stuff that God's calling us to, you know the thing that we need more than anything else? Our leaders. We've got to have people who are trained to go. And so here's what we're praying about, and here's what I want to ask you to pray about, is, is for living hope to produce more leaders. We are now debt-free. And what I would love to see us do is to take the offerings that we would, we would typically give towards debt and instead put it in people. And we're calling it the Ministers in Training Program. And what we'd love to do is to raise up ministry assistants and interns and apprentices who will become missionaries and pastors and serve churches and the kingdom cause all over the world. Do you realize a majority of our staff at one point were members of our church who became interns, who became members? That a large portion of our missionaries that have come from our church, at one point they were interns at our church. And what we believe God wants us to do is to raise up more. So here's what I ask you to do. Ask God to provide that, to be willing to make the sacrifice. We don't know what it looks like. We're going to figure it out. We're going to pray it through. We're going to ask God, and we're going to see if this is what indeed God wants us to do. Now, some say, well, that, that seems risky. What, what, why would you, you know, are we going to be spread to the, is it too much? I mean, shouldn't we just all come together? Shouldn't we just, no, we must go. We must give. We must sacrifice. We must send and we must be sent. This is what thriving people do. Last, by faith. Thriving people trust that God will fully provide. I'm going to say this really slowly and really carefully because a lot of people get this confused. So I'm going to say this really, I'm going to say it as clearly as I can. God always provides for his plan. God always provides for his plan. He doesn't always provide for our plan. Friends, if you want to thrive, if you want to succeed in your life, you need to know God's plan. Because once you know God's plan, you can know he's going to provide. It's not us leading, it's God leading. It's, it's us saying, God, here I am, send me. God has always provided for me. Many of you know the story of Jimmy Holt. Jimmy was a new believer at our church. Jimmy found out that I was going to seminary. It was $1,000 an hour. How many hours do you have, Pettis? 91. He provided the cost for my seminary. He found out I was going to do a doctorate degree. I didn't have the money in either situation. God provided for his plan. I'm your pastor today because Jimmy Holt provided for my education. I will tell you, Jimmy didn't write a single paper and he did not proofread my dissertation. 
I did the work, but God provided. God always provides for his plan. God sees to it that that what he's determined to do gets done. And the smart thing to do is to trust him. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and in glory in Christ Jesus. John 15.7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. Trusting in God's Provision is not passive. It's active. We have to be praying and we have to be pursuing. We have to be moving. Here's another axiom for you. You can't steer a boat that's not moving. If a boat's not moving, you can't steer it. If you're sitting there in a boat and it's anchored down and you're moving the wheel, you're not steering that thing anywhere. How do you steer a boat? It's gotta be moving You want God to guide you? You got to be moving. You got to be moving toward God. Say, what if I'm going the wrong way? He's God. He's going to move you. He will turn you. There are too many Christians sitting constantly. When they think about their relationship with God and what they do for God, it involves sitting and listening. There's certainly a place to listen, but then there's a point to get up and do. The reason why some of you are bored in your Christian faith, the reason why some of you are so impotent in your Christian faith is because you're not moving. Because you're doing what's comfortable and safe. Friends, we gotta step out and we gotta live by faith. We've got to say, Lord, here I am. I wanna do what your word says to do. I wanna go where you want me to go. I'm ready. Now to do that, you've gotta be thriving. What's thriving? Thriving is the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. If you're trying to be in control of your life, you're not thriving. If you are living for your comfort and your safety, you're not thriving. It's living in obedience to God's word. It's trusting the outcomes to God's capable care. It's having an intimate relationship with God. Are you thriving? Let's pray. Father God, I can't help but know there are people in this room who are not thriving. And some are not because they don't have an intimate relationship with you. They've never repented of their sin and believed in Jesus. Jesus, you are not in them and they are not in you. And Lord, I pray that right now, that if anyone in this room, anyone listening right now knows that they are not right with you, that right now they would tell you that they are sorry for their sin. They would tell you that they believe that Jesus died to pay for that sin and ask you to take over their life. Father, I know there are many believers in this room and I know many are not thriving because rather than pursuing your will, they're pursuing comfort. They're looking at life from a worldly perspective. If, if that's you right now, I want to invite you. Tell them we'll call them back later. If you would, right now, ask God. Ask God to show you if you're living by faith or by sight. If you're living to be in control or if you're living to live under the control of God.
Are you living a life that some might say is risky? Are you giving and serving and praying and doing so that the world might look at you and say, that's foolish. Friends, live by faith. Repent of your, of your comfort seeking and ask God to guide you. Start moving, start serving, find a place. Let him steer you. Commit to do that right now. Father, we, we are people who want comfort and we want what only heaven can give now. But Lord, that, that day is to come. That new heaven and new earth is coming because of your steadfastness. Bless us now to walk by faith, to live by faith, to, to, to have these acts of faith that are required for thriving people who live in difficult days. And we promise to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.